Please join me in reading from God's word. Our scripture passage today comes from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, we are jumping in to our text today, which has been uh, read for us by Grant in Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you've been with us at Calvary for a while, you know that we've been working our way through a sermon series, All Things New, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world, started in Genesis uh, over a year ago, and we are now into the life of Christ. And uh, we've been looking at various aspects of Jesus's life and uh, in particular looking uh, this past number of weeks at his teachings. And Pastor Eric walked us through uh, Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan last week. And this week we pick up uh, some more of Jesus's parables here, the parable, uh, very famous parable uh, from Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son. And so even if you're not a Christian or haven't been around church much, perhaps you've, you've no doubt heard of the prodigal son. That concept is uh, popularized in our culture, and it comes from Jesus's story here in Luke chapter 15. Now, as we open up into Luke chapter 15, we read the whole chapter here. At the very beginning, we see that Jesus has been winning an audience throughout his public ministry with the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, tax collectors in our day and age, they're not our favorite people, uh, but even more so back in Jesus's day, uh, the tax collectors were not looked at with kindness. Back in the days of the Roman Empire, the uh, emperor would take bids for collecting taxes from the provinces. So say there need to be taxes taken from the province uh, where Israel was. And so uh, the emperor would take bids from various tax collectors, imperial tax collectors, who would say how much they thought they could get, they could bilk, as it were, the province for. And so one you know, tax collector would say, hey, I think I can get you know, 30 million sesterces from, uh, from that province. And I would say, oh, I think I get 35, I think I get 37. And the emperor would look at the bids and he would pick the one that he felt like was most likely to succeed and that also had the highest number. So then the tax collector would go to the province and he would recruit local help to bilk the nation of the taxes that he had uh, said that he was going to collect. You can imagine all the room for, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, for controversy and for strife there that would come with that. And so lots of opportunity for corruption. So when the tax collectors like Matthew, who later becomes a disciple, or uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man that we learned about uh, in Sunday school, when these Jewish tax collectors linked arms with the imperial tax collector who was working for the emperor, well, that did not make them uh, endeared to the Jewish community. So Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors. He's hanging out with sinners. So we can think of sinners like Mary Magdalene, who Jesus cast out seven demons. We read about that in Luke chapter 8. Or the woman caught in adultery in uh, John's gospel. The woman at the well who was on her sixth man and her fifth husband. 
or all the lepers and the blind that Jesus uh, is connecting with and the Pharisees and others would have thought that the lepers and the blind were lepers and blind because they were sinners, some sort of karma type um, reality worked out in their lives. So Jesus is hanging out with all these uh, undesirables, these tax collectors and sinners and the scribes and the Pharisees we read about uh, here in the beginning of chapter 15, the religious conservatives, they don't like it one bit. And they're beginning to grumble about it. Like gathers with like. That's kind of their motto. And so if Jesus is hanging out with all these undesirables, that makes him an undesirable as well. So in response to their grumbling, we read in verse 3, Jesus tells them a series of parables. Three parables, in fact. He tells them a parable about the lost sheep. He tells the parable about the lost coin. And he tells the parable about the lost son. Now, I had us read all of chapter 15 for context, but we're going to look most particularly at the parable of the lost son. And as we begin to look at this parable, I want us to really focus in here on verse 3, where Luke tells us that Jesus told them a parable. Who's the them that Jesus tells the parable to? Is the them the scribes and the Pharisees, or is the them the tax collectors and the sinners? And the answer, I think, is both. Jesus is telling this parable to everyone there, everyone who is listening to him, not only those who see themselves as lost, but also to those who most definitely do not see themselves as lost. Most of us, I think, not all of us, but most of us have enough sense of our own innate lostness that we quick, quickly read ourselves into the parables as the lost objects of the parables, right? So we're the lost sheep. We see ourselves as the lost coin or we see ourselves as the lost son. And thus, if you look in your English Bibles, you'll see that these are in fact the titles of these parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, right? But when the scribes and the Pharisees heard these parables, they read themselves into the stories as the sheep that didn't wander off and get lost, as the coin that didn't get lost, as the son that didn't leave home. Some of us this morning, I know, are very prodigal. And some of us this morning are very pharisaical. Most of us, I think, are somewhere right in the middle of all of that. But wherever we are on the continuum, I believe the Lord has a word for us this morning. Perhaps the word is most pointed for those of us that are at the edges of the continuum, but he has a word for all of us this morning. And ironically, that's what I love about this parable, is that the word that God has for all of us on the continuum, on both sides of it even, is the exact same word. So I want us to catch what that word is that God has for us wherever we are on the continuum from pharisaical to prodigal. So let's listen to what the father in the parable has to say to each of his two sons and then by extension listen to what our heavenly father has to say to each of us. All right, so the parable begins in chapter 11 and the parable is a parable of two sons, not just of one son. A man has two sons. Most of us have heard this story. A man has two sons. The younger son wants his share of the inheritance early. He doesn't want to wait till dad dies. He wants it now. 
And he wants it, uh, so he goes and he asks his father for it. And his father complies and gives his son his share of the inheritance. And the son takes a journey into the far country, we read about. And there in the far country, he squanders everything that his father has given him in reckless living. Now, this wasn't just like bad business investments. We read ahead into verse 30. And we can see from the comments of the older son that the younger son has squandered all of his property. The, young, the older son says it's been devoured by prostitutes. So the younger son basically goes all in on a hedonistic lifestyle. And the only thing that stops him is he runs out of his father's money. So Jesus is telling this parable in such a way to drive home the point that the youngest son is culpable for the plight in which he has found himself. I mean, the lost coin and the lost sheep, I mean, who can really blame them? But the lost son, no one to blame but himself. And then in verse 14, we see that things go from bad to worse. A famine comes in the whole land and the young man begins to starve. So now his situation is desperate and he, in this plight that he finds himself, sells himself out, hires himself out as a local pig feeder. And he's so hungry that he even desires to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs, but no one's even giving him that to eat. And this is about as low as a good uh, upstanding Jewish boy from a good family can fall. But then in verse 17... Probably there in the pig sty, the young man comes to his senses and he remembers his father's house. And he remembers that the servants of his father's house lived better, always lived better than he was living now. In any case, they weren't starving to death, that's for sure. So the young man decides to humble himself and to go back home to confess his sin to his father and to ask to be treated not as a son, but to be treated as one of the hired servants. And it would be a demotion in the family to be sure. But how could he possibly ask the father to receive him back as a son after he had so foolishly and recklessly and callously squandered all of his father's money? I mean, his father must have been a generous man for the son to even have this idea to begin with, for him to even consider going back home. But, but asking for his place back in the family, well, that was asking for too much. The father's love might be great, but certainly it had its limits. And so he goes home and in verse 21, we read the speech that he's prepared. He gives it to his father. But before he can even get to the bit about being treated like a servant, the father welcomes him back home as a son. In an extraordinary display of kindness, the father calls for the best robes. He calls for the family signet ring. He puts shoes back on his son's feet and he orders that the fatted calf be butchered for a great feast. So now imagine this. The, the son has taken half of the father's money or whatever his share of the inheritance was. He squandered all of it. And now he's coming back welcomed as a son. And in being welcomed back as a son, he's given again half of his father's inheritance. 
because of his place as a son. Well, in verse 24, the father says this, this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. The father knows only joy in this moment at the son's return. And so he throws a party and the whole, hel- whole household is invited in to celebrate the son's return. What the prodigal son had not anticipated when he went home was the profoundly unconditional nature of the father's love. But now, swept up into the father's unconditional love, the prodigal son entered in to the joy and the celebration. Some of you this morning have been to the far country. Some of you this morning are still in the far country. Maybe with respect to your whole life, like the tax collectors and the sinners and the prodigal son, or maybe with respect to just some portion of your life. This morning you find yourself having thumbed your nose at God and what you knew to be true. And without regard for God or what's right or the future, you have indulged your baser desires and you have squandered all the gifts that God has given to you. And now you are reaping the consequences of your foolishness. And like the prodigal son, you have no one to blame but yourself. What seemed to be a life of excitement and freedom and pleasure has turned out to be anything but. The illicit relationship that was supposed to bring you joy has brought you misery and strife. The new job with its ethical compromises did indeed come with the pay increase, but it also came with an increase of stress and anxiety and a decrease in integrity. The too expensive house that you bought, the partying friends that you surrounded yourself with, the forbidden pleasures that you've pursued, none of it has brought the happiness and the joy that you hoped that it would. Some of you, I know, you're not ready to come home from the far country. You haven't run out of money yet, as it were. You're still living in the far country for a while. You're not ready to give up on the pleasures that the far country promises. But some of you are this morning. You find yourself like the lost son, destitute in the far country and deeply unhappy. And maybe this morning... You are remembering the happiness of your father's house. And you want to return home to the truth and to God. But you hesitate and you wonder if perhaps it's too late. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, I burned the bridges. Perhaps you're thinking, I've used up all of the grace allotted to me. Perhaps you're worried there is no room left for repentance. You know, the good book says that love covers a multitude of sins, but you wonder if your multitude of sins is just too much. If you find yourself in the far country, wondering if you should go home this morning, wondering if God's love is big enough to cover your multitude of sins, do you know what God says to you this morning? He says to you the same thing that the father in this parable says to the prodigal son, 
I love you no matter what you have done. My love for you is unconditional. Prodigal or no, I have always loved you. Listen, God loves us. He loves you this morning with an unconditional love. You don't have to be good to merit it. He stands ready to receive you if you will but repent and come home. He's not going to rub your face in it. He's not going to say, I told you so. He won't stare down at you with a furrowed gaze, disapproving look. He won't take you back as a mere servant while denying you a place as his child. He longs for you to come to your senses and to come home. So I encourage you this morning to repent of your folly and your foolishness. To leave the far country and come home to the unconditional love of God. There is pleasure in the far country, for sure, but only for a season. It can't last forever. But in Psalm 16, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. These are the pleasures that God gives in himself. God is himself the source of all pleasure. He is the fountainhead of joy, of all joy. He is the wellspring of living water that never runs dry. Be swept up into God's endless and unconditional love and enter into the celebration that God hands holds out for you. Someone, I don't know who, but I'm sure someone needed to hear that message this morning. All of us need to hear it when we are tempted to run and hide for a season in the far country. But maybe this morning there's someone in particular that really needed to hear that message. God loves you. He wants you to come home. But this parable wasn't told only for the tax collectors and the sinners. It was told also to the Pharisees. And so the story doesn't end with the repentance of the prodigal son. In verse 25, we get to the obedient son. Now keep in mind, as we mentioned, that Jesus is telling this parable just as much to the scribes and the Pharisees as much as the tax collectors and sinners. The younger son represents the prodigals, the tax collectors and sinners. The older son represents the obedient, the self-righteous moralists, the scribes and the Pharisees. As we've seen over the past few weeks, the scribes and the Pharisees are Jesus's arch enemies. I mentioned this before, but what the Philistines were to Israel in the Old Testament, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are to Jesus in the New Testament. They're Jesus's chief opponents. They are proud, they're self-righteous, they're hypocritical, they're moralistic, they think they're better than everybody else. And they think that they deserve a blessing from God because of their obedience and they resent seeing God's blessing given to others that they think are less worthy than themselves. So Jesus has a message for them too in this parable. Now let me preface my comments here as we move into talking about the Pharisees that there are two kinds of self-righteous moralists. There is the unapologetic and unrepentant self-righteous moralist. And these are the Pharisees in Jesus's day. But then there are those of us, and I think this is probably more of us uh, this morning here, if we lean this way, there are those of us who are Christian enough to see the dangers of judgmentalism 
And when we see it in ourselves, we're always struggling against it. And if you are in that latter group, kind of the Christian Pharisee, as it were, right? And if you're in that latter group, you know the cross that you bear. It's a hard place to be. You're judgmental towards others. That's the Pharisee side of you. But then you feel bad about it. That's the Christian side of you. Because you know that the judgmental spirit is right and wrong. After all, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. So you know you shouldn't be judging. And so being a judgmental person, you turn your prodigious powers of judgment on yourself and you judge yourself for being judgmental. Which, of course, only serves to make you unhappy about yourself because, after all, who feels good about being judged by anyone, even if it's being judged by yourself? And the unhappier you get about yourself, the more prone to judging others you become, which causes you to judge yourself, which makes you more unhappy, which causes you to judge others, and on and on the cycle goes. Some of you live in this cycle, and you end up cannibalizing yourself in judgment. I mean, Lord, have mercy. There are... No one is more unhappy than a critical person because a critical person can't stop criticizing themselves. And if that's you, I feel your pain this morning. And uh, I just say, hang tight and let's see what God has to say to you. So in verse 25, we see that the obedient son is working in the field, dutiful son that he is. And he hears the sound of parting, so he wants to figure out what's going on. And he's told that his younger brother has come home and that his father is throwing a party. And the older son is ticked. And he refuses to go to the celebration. So his father comes out to try to entreat him to come in. But the older son, the obedient son, refuses to listen to the father. I mean, do you catch the irony here in this moment? Listen to his response in verse 29. He answers his father and says, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Where's my party? Where's my fatted calf? It's basically what the obedient son is saying. And honestly... Some of you are thinking, it's a fair point. You know, I mean, I kind of get what the older son is talking about. And if you find yourself resonating with the older brother who represents the Pharisees, well, I'll let you connect the dots there yourself, right? You remember Jeff uh, Foxworthy with his, you might be a redneck if. Well, you might be a Pharisee if you resonate with the grievance of the older son. Now, what message do you think the older son, the pharisaical son, needs to hear from the father in this moment? I mean, if you were Jesus and you were telling the parable, with the Pharisees listening, what words would you put in the father's mouth to have him say to the older son, bearing in mind that the older son represents the Pharisees? So I've thought about this, and I think I would have had the father say something like this. Listen, son, I love you, but you're not any better than anyone else. You're just as rotten on the inside as your brother was on the outside. At least your brother acknowledged his sin and repented of it. And that's more than I can say for you. 
In other words, I would have pointed a finger of judgment at the older son's judgmental attitude and I would have tried to get him to see that he was just as sinful as his sinful younger brother. You know, whitewashed tomb and all of that. But that's not what the father does. Listen to the father's words in verse 31. He says to the son, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. He's saying we belong to each other. We're family. Everything that I have has always been yours. The father is saying to the obedient son, essentially the same thing that he said to the prodigal son. I love you no matter what you've done. My love for you is unconditional. Obedient or no, I have always loved you. The problem of the older son was not that he forgot how sinful he was. The problem of the older son is that he forgot how loved he was. The way out of his self-righteousness and judgmentalism was not to be reminded how rotten he was, even if that was true. It was to be reminded how loved that he was. So if you tend towards legalism and judgmentalism, if you have to fight the urge not to look down your nose at the, all the incompetent and indulgent people in the world, yourself included, the answer to freeing yourself from the shackles of your pharisaical tendencies is to remember God's unconditional love for you. We are more prone to judge others when we are feeling judged ourselves, we are more prone to demand obedience of others when we believe that obedience is demanded of us. And we are more prone to give only conditional love when we believe that we are loved conditionally. But God's love for us is unconditional. God's love for you is not because you always obey it's not because you always keep the rules. It's not because you always dot every I and you cross every T. He loves you for the same reason that he loves all of his children, both his obedient children and his disobedient children. He loves you because he is love himself and because you are his child. End of story. In our home, whenever my wife is arguing with one of our kids and they're going on and on, she'll close the argument by saying, end of story. There's nothing else to talk about. God loves you. End of story. It doesn't matter whether you're good. It doesn't matter whether you're bad. He loves you. It's the end of the story. That's the nature of God's love. It is unconditional and it is unearned. So the next time you find yourself moving into the Pharisee zone, just take a step back, settle yourself down, and pray that the Holy Spirit would help you marinate in the unconditional, unmerited, tender love of God. Don't try to break the grip of your judgmentalism by the sword of self-judgment. There is no power there. Slay your sin or the sin of others, with the life-giving sword of God's unconditional love. In Romans chapter 2, the very beginning of the chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking to the self-righteous among his audience, and he reminds them, he says, don't you remember that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? 
It is God's unmerited kindness. It is his love that brings us to repentance, not his judgment. Don't bring self-judgment on yourself to get yourself to repent. Bring God's love into your heart to remind yourself that God loves you regardless of your behavior and your obedience and your capacity to follow him perfectly. Well, prodigals cut themselves off from God's love because they think that they are unworthy of it. Pharisees cut themselves off from God's love because they think God's love has to be earned. Whichever way you lean, whether it's to the prodigal side or the Pharisee side, lean fully into God's unconditional love. As we close out this morning, it needs to be said that God's love isn't merely some warm sort of sentimental feeling. It's, it is an active and a powerful love, and it has cost him dearly to bring it to us. God in his infinite love has sent Jesus into the world to put to death both sin, prodigal sin, and pharisaical moralism. Jesus took our broken humanity, your broken humanity, my broken humanity. He took our broken humanity into himself and he put it to death on the cross and then he rose again, leaving it far behind so that we in him could be free of it. Jesus himself is the living embodiment of the Father's unconditional love. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some of you this morning need to step into the unconditional love of God. Whether it's prodigal, whether you're pharisaical, you need to step into the unconditional love of God. Maybe this morning for the first time, you're not a Christian, you, you, you want to come home to God. You were made as a creature to find your rest in God. And you want to come home to God. And the first time today, you could do that by accepting God's unconditional love that he extends to you through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you are a Christian this morning and uh, you find yourself having forgotten, having lost your way, and you need to be reminded this morning about God's unconditional love. God's love can't be bought with obedience and it can't be lost with disobedience. It is a free gift to all who come to God with an open hand of repentance and humility. A closing song this morning, I would invite you as it's sung, you sing along with it and, or maybe just listen, but make it your prayer this morning. It's a song about God's free and gracious love that he gives to us in Christ. If you stand outside the family in the far country and you want to come into the family, then make this song your prayer this morning. God's invitation to you to be welcomed into the Christian family. If you're already in the family, but you find yourself having wandered away, then let this song bring you back to the heart of who God is. Father, thank you that you gave us Christ to remind us of your deep, abiding, eternal, and unconditional love for us. And God, I pray for those this morning, whether they find themselves on the one side as a Pharisee or the other side as a prodigal, all of us in the middle, I, help you, I pray that you would all help all of us to come to this place of receiving your deep, unconditional love. Help us, Lord, even as we close out here this morning by singing uh, this song, help us to find our way to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.